0: If you'd grab your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12, we're going to read from there starting in verse 9 as we continue to pursue or chase this topic. Uh, We've been talking about how it is that we chase joy in our lives. Uh, Joy, experiencing it, is a a balance of uh, discovering How it is that we know God, how it is we know him and rest in the goodness of what we know of him, and then how we act on that in our lives. Many times we get this uh, out of joint by learning more than it is that we're able or willing to put into practice, and so we become knowledgeable, but our whole heart isn't there. Uh, the other thing we can do is we can throw ourselves into activity and attempt to, to do and do and do in an attempt to earn or to, uh, to to try to purchase the blessedness uh, of of God. Uh, these are these are both mistakes. And so what we've been we've been talking about is is discovering that 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 joy begins when we understand that we need to rest in God that we need to to major or to focus on being in relationship with him and then allowing doing to flow from that. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we've spent uh, some time talking about uh, how it is then that we think through issues uh, relating to um, how we then focus on our being. We've talked about uh, building enough margin into our lives, enough time to, to pull aside and to focus on, on growth. If our life is full of activity, we will have no time for, uh, for, for drawing near to God. If there's no time for reflection on who he is, then how will we grow in knowledge of him? If there's no time for taking stock of where we are and assessing ourselves, how will we know how to respond to, to the to the, the convicting work of the spirit or the encouraging work of others if we don't know who we are. And so that's a kind of a, a catch up to where we have been. And now today we're going to turn and we're going to focus, we're going to begin to focus on how it is that we, that we live out, how do we, how do we do in a way that's consistent with who we are as Christians. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. We're going to read there. We'll read to the end of the chapter. The scripture says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning having considered in weeks past What it is that that we must do in order to allow rest and renewal to take place. How we can cease from striving in our relationships and our confusing and draining day-to-day activities. Father, as we focus this morning on the world around us, on the world outside of our own heads, and we consider the, the people that surround us, the people that you have planted us among, the people that you have, have given us to love and to care for and to work with and in some cases to strive against, we pray that you would help us to see that these are among the greatest treasures that you've given to us. We pray that you would help us to see life not as a series of tasks to be accomplished, but that we would have eyes to see that there is a vast field of people to be loved and cared for and nurtured and encouraged, and taught, and fed so many different ways to express our obligation that you lay out in the scriptures to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we pray that you would would give us a sense, Lord, that this is your priority. Uh, There is no way to overcome the tension that there are many things that must be done each and every day. There are bills to pay and tasks to accomplish and and dreams to dream and plans that, that must be followed through on. But we pray that you would help us to see the people in our lives as a divine opportunity given by you. And we pray that in so doing, recognizing the importance of relationship that we would find what you find in relationship that we would find joy we pray this lord knowing that you're good we pray it in jesus name amen uh we have We live in uh, tense and difficult times. Uh, I thought that the only level of trouble that would come to the, uh, the happiness that I have found in following football, I thought the only tension and struggle that would, would be there would be among people wearing different jerseys. You know, even when I encounter someone wearing a, a different football jersey, you know, I, I, I still think like, but you like football. Right. You know, and unless you're going to try to like drown me in football facts or something like we're still we're still kind of allies, you know, just don't don't trash my team. Be like we we, too, uh, love football. Last uh, last couple of years, I've, I've enjoyed just being part of the stream of society that are that are that are into this game, you know, like, and what do you, what do you do? You go and you watch a game and you hang out with some friends and you say, oh, great catch or oh, bad call, you know, and you're like, you're part of the tribe and you feel like you belong, you know, even if you're mostly faking all of your your football (laughs) knowledge, you know, you know, and so it's like, People, people will say, did you see that call, you know, this Jets thing that happened last week where they overturned it and it wasn't a touchdown, it was a touchback? I'm like, yeah, I know, so wrong. I don't know what a touchback is. I don't know what that means. Please don't explain it to me right now. But like, I can I can identify with somebody and they're like, yeah, when I'm like, that should have never happened, you know? And so, yeah, I know, I know, I'm there. Um, It's a shame, isn't it? We live in such tense times that everything, it feels like, is politicized. Many things, maybe this is just the age I'm at where I'm realizing, like, wow, there's tension everywhere, in every sphere of life. We live in in incredibly tense and difficult times. There's Political tension, let's just acknowledge that we have a president that a lot of people don't like, right? There's a lot of conflict over money, there's conflict over immigration, we've got a, a potential war about to break out, you know, we've got all kinds of intrigue, and this one said this, and there was no honesty about that. And and man, if you make the mistake of making a casual, casual comment about politics, listen, this is the lesson that I've learned. There is no such thing as a casual comment about politics. There isn't, there isn't. It's like almost immediately you're in the middle of like, who did you vote for and what do you think about this? And it's like, whoa, let's dial it back. Um, there's tension, political tension. There's ethnic tension, um, all kinds of, of struggle. We've got these NFL protests. We've got people who are, who are, who are saying that there is, is institutional struggle in our culture. That, that uh, one group of people is not being treated equally, and so there's tension there that exists between peoples. There's relational tension. Man, I'll tell you what, did you ever, like 20 years ago, I could not have imagined that I would be picking a fight with somebody on Facebook over a picture that they posted of my quarterback, you know? <laughs> It was, it was horribly unjust that, that my guy broke his collarbone, and now you know, we are out of the running, it seems. Uh, there are people who say, just keep on believing that the Packers can do it. And I'm like, okay. You know? but, but then you've got all these memes. Do you know what these are? Little, little pictures with captions on them. You know, you know, making fun of Aaron Rodgers. And I'm like, this is not okay. You know? and so yesterday I caught myself saying, rename your account from NFL memes to pathetic trolls. Because that is what you are. You know? Like, this is just purely, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know who you are, but somewhere in America there's a guy sitting behind a keyboard who I want to have words with, you know? Um, and, and there is this relational tension that exists, and that's just a humorous example, but, but we've seen, uh, we see people struggling with different tensions, struggles in their families, struggles at work, people dealing with all kinds of of, of difficult circumstances, it is a joy to be in relationship with people, to be part of the tribe and to be at peace. That's a, that's a joy and a delight. But to be at odds with people creates an enormous sense of struggle and, and strife and difficulty. It's a sad reality of the world that we live in. That conflict is inevitable. And yet this is a, a, a truth that no matter at what point we are in discovering it, it's something that people looking back have realized for a long time about the nature of the world. Conflict is a major theme of literature, right? You learn that in in, in Literature Appreciation 101, whatever that is, like English 2 or English 1, Um, conflict with the self, conflict with man, conflict with nature, conflict with society, right? This is the basis of story. You know what we call a story that has no conflict in it? Boring. Yeah, right? That's what we're interested in. We want the tension. The dawn of electronic communication, by which I would include, you know, news media, not just the internet, but the dawn of of social media adds another level of complexity to this tension that we feel. It adds a level of confusion about basic facts about conflict and relationships that we need to be mindful of. We're talking about joy and about finding our joy in God. As we were reflecting on the scriptures last week, I said that we need to be humble enough to own truth regarding ourselves, right? That, that, that we struggle, that we are sinners, that, that there are times where we need to admit that we have, do not have all things figured out, you know, or that, or that our attitudes are often wrong, whereas God's are, are always right. We need to own truth regarding ourselves and our imperfections, but we also need to have boldness to own the truth about what God says about us. When we consider the conflict in the world, it's important to remember this, that relationships are our great treasure. When you think about the center of the gospel, the idea that Jesus left heaven and took our sin upon himself, And became our sacrifice, having lived a perfectly righteous life. Think about what he could have done if Jesus were individually focused. If he was a self-focused being. If he had no compassion, God would have said, we will make this arrangement. You will take the sins of humanity upon yourself. I will honor you for honoring us. Jesus could have said, no. Right? Jesus could have come to earth and said, I will vindicate the righteousness of the Father by living a perfect life and show all of y'all what you should have done with the opportunity presented to you and you will be doubly condemned, not just by the standard written in the word, but by the life that I have lived. Figure it out yourself, jokers, you know? And we'd have been like, what do we do? But no, instead what he does is he embraces the form of, of a servant takes sin upon himself goes to the cross having lived a righteous life and says whoever would come to me admitting their own sin confessing their need for righteousness they will have eternal life he gives of himself to honor the father and to establish a way for human beings to be right with God. Why does he do this? Because relationship is at the center of his focus. Yes, he seeks to honor God. Yes, he loves human beings, but these are expressions of the centerpiece of relationship. God existed in eternity past as a trinity, perpetually and forever in relationship with himself without conflict. When you consider the world and you consider what will remain when this world has worn out, there are three things that last forever. And they are God, his word, and the souls of men and women. What's important? God is important. God's thoughts and intentions are important. And People are important. Everything else will work itself out. The advance of technology means that we can absorb news from around the world in a heartbeat. That we can know what's happening every place in the world almost instantaneously. The advent of social media means that we can hear news from our friends and family instantly, 24-7. It never stops. I'm kind of astounded at times, like if I wake up in the middle of the night to let the dog out, and I'm waiting for the dog to come back in because he is a bad dog and goes out and barks and wakes up everyone in our neighborhood at like three o'clock in the morning. Right, if I have one of these moments where I'm gonna like, I'm gonna check out what's going on on Facebook, you know what's happening? People are posting at three in the morning. There's, it's always happening. You can always be connected with people. And why are they posting? Many times they're posting because there's drama in their lives, whether it's because they're at war with Comcast over (laughs) poor service. Thank you for those of you who who loved me through my crisis this week, Um, or they're or they're or they're sharing because of some crisis in their family, or they're sharing because they are at a at having a crisis moment over some political opinion or some social thing that they're noticing and they, they need to share many, or we now have an eye into people's lives. And what happens is having a view into the problems of the world, we're, we're, we're drawn into these things because of our relationships with others. So here's the point of deception, I believe. We have illusionary relationships with people. Newscasters and rock stars and politicians and people that we went to high school with 20 years ago that we never spoke to and and honestly don't speak to outside of some kind of uh, electronic relationship. They're now accessible to us and they speak to the problems of the world and they offer their perspective. And when we interact with those perspectives, when we interact with them, we're forming an opinion based on their opinion of the world and not on the world as it actually exists. Does that make sense? We can focus on the whole world. And when we do that, when we, when we focus on the whole world as, as perceiving it through the, the, the relationships that we have with others, we tend to think, oh, this is the way the world is. This is what the world's problems are like. And when we allow other people to tell us how the world is or how people are, we begin to develop a, a skewed perspective of the world. We tend to build our perspective based on who we identify with, with what team we're on, with, with I group these people in an area of allegiance with me, and these people are my enemies, the people that I need to Fix or correct even if you're not on social media and you're watching cable news you're, you're doing this too right if you're if you're um, just if you if you are just reading the newspaper you're thinking oh these people are right and these people are the enemy and so we have this perspective that breaks us in to tribes because we have a global focus and I don't mean compassion for the world when I say global I mean that we have this enormous focus that breaks people up into tribes and parties and factions we see ourselves as members of one and not of the other and so we tend to think of solutions for enormous numbers of people but I don't know that we were designed to operate that way as human beings Think about the way that you actually live your life. You interact not with broad groups of people, but with individuals. When the lady hands me my coffee through the Dunkin' Donuts window and says, how is your day? I'm not going to respond with some grand sense of everything that's going on in the world, right? I'm going to say, I'm fine. Are you having a good day? And she's going to say, yes. I'm going to say, you continue having a great day, right? and maybe her world is a little bit brighter, right? We've interacted as humans. We never, in large part, interact with these large groups of people. When we cast our focus on the world as it is, the fact that we are interacting with individuals, we see lives, actual individuals, and then Problem-solving and working through tension becomes personal. As Paul addresses his letter to the Romans, the letter of the Romans to the church in Rome, he does it for a few reasons, okay? First, let's acknowledge this truth. It's a missionary support letter. Paul says all the way at the very end, I'm coming to you, you know, I've, I've shared my gospel with you. I'm coming to you and I want you to help me to get to Spain one day. You know, that's that's what I'm I'm hoping. Second, he does that because it contains a summary of his doctrine because he wants the church in Rome to think like, oh, yeah, he thinks what we think. He believes like we believe and we want to help him move on to Rome and share the gospel. But there's a excuse me. third reason why he writes the book of Romans, and that's because the Roman church at that moment was plagued by internal struggles. There was an ethnic struggle between the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews are the people of Abraham, who, because of God's faithfulness, because he established a promise to Abraham and then one with David, we talked about this last week, God brought Messiah into the world through the Jewish people. But then they rejected Christ and turned away from him in large numbers, while the Gentiles were accepting Christ in massive numbers. And so there is this tension of the, the Jews were the has-beens, and the Gentiles were the right nows. And there was, there was struggle and arrogance and difficulty. And so Paul addresses the church, in a general way in his letter, but as he moves on and gets closer to personal application as the letter goes on, he urges them to focus on local, personal, relational solutions in their lives. A quick outline of the book of Romans. You can turn to Romans 1, but we're going to move through it really fast. You're going to, If you turn there, you're going to be like, wait, why did I turn here at all? But feel free to do that if you'd like to. I'm not going to prevent you. Paul discusses the... He discusses the condition of the human race in Romans chapter 1 through 3, where he identifies that all of humanity has committed sin and is guilty of turning away from God and failing to live in the way that God has called them to and then in Romans 3 we hear the good news of, of the gospel that that because no human being can live up to the demands and the conditions of the law that God sent Christ to take our place and to establish another form of righteousness the the first form is do everything that God commands And don't do anything he tells us not to do. Obey perfectly and you will be saved. And no one can do that. That's the point of Romans 1 through 3. That no one lives up to that. But then the Bible says in Romans 3 that God has formed. Or that God has created another form of righteousness. Not one that depends on obedience to the law. But one that comes because it is given to us by faith in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And so then Paul talks about gospel benefits in Romans chapter 4 through 8. All of the good things that we receive because of the gospel climaxing in this amazing passage in Romans 8 about the fact that we will never be separated from God and that everything that happens to us is worked out for good. And there's, there's, uh, chapter 8 has been called by some of the most important or the the. The biggest, the most encouraging chapter in the entire Bible. As Paul moves on in chapter 9 through 11 of Romans, he's addressing the fact of relationships between Jews and Gentiles and talking about them in a national sense. How God used uh, the Jewish people in the past, not took advantage of them, but how he used their nation to produce Messiah, And why they're rejecting Messiah now. And what's going on with the Gentiles. All these things are laid out. But then in Romans 12 through 16, Paul focuses on personal relationships. And problems that seemed insurmountable. That seemed like they could not be solved when you consider people as broad groups. Suddenly draw into focus and guidelines are given and a way is, is demonstrated for people to live together even though they are different. Problems that seem insurmountable when we consider large groups of people, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, male and female, in our context, black and white democrat and republican work themselves out in the interpersonal context of love listen to paul's commands to the romans he says in chapter 12 and verse 9 that that love is to be genuine Not just in word or in concept, but in uh, the way that we act on what love actually is. Let love be genuine, he says. Show warm brotherly affection to one another that's the first part of of verse 10 and then he says that we're to show honor to one another in fact create this sense of competition in showing honor to one another he says outdo one another in showing honor i I don't know how you do that if if you're not publicly honoring people and, and seeking to uh to seeking to encourage and to show good in a how do you outdo one another? There's, there's clearly some kind of, of public proclamation of, of love there. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. We're to, we're to share the good things that we've been given to help others who are in need. And we're to show hospitality. We're to welcome one another and to serve one another. In verse 14, we're to bless when persecuted. There are two kinds of persecution. Puritan Thomas Watson says there's the persecution in word, when someone is saying bad stuff about you, and then there's a persecution in fist, when someone is actually hurting you. And when either of those two things happen, our response in love, understanding that relationships are primary, is when someone Persecutes or harms us, we're supposed to turn to them in blessing. Bless those who persecute you. It's almost like Paul anticipates that we're going to say, What? That's crazy. Because then there's a semicolon and he says, Bless and do not curse, right? He follows it up. He's like, Yeah, I meant that. Verse 16 Live in harmony with one another harmony right is when this amazing moment in singing when distinct voices are all singing their own different part and yet there's like this musical convergence right I know about as much about music theory as I know about football I probably know more about football than I do about music theory so if you're out there saying that's not what harmony is Harmony is like when each person's individual contribution forms something which is amazingly superior to to all of those pieces separately. That means that, that rather than saying everybody needs to think and do and behave the exact same way, each person can continue to display their own distinctness, right? Their own inner weirdness. And they can continue to be that way, but they're working together in a way that is not competitive and not canceling each other out, but instead they produce as a unified whole something that is better than the parts separately. Live in harmony with one another. We have this tendency or desire to want everybody to be the same. Same is boring, folks, isn't it? Imagine a world where there is only milk chocolate. Pfft. There are people who are like, I don't like dark chocolate. That's fine. You can be wrong about this. <laughs> and then white chocolate? Like, <laughs> right? Imagine, imagine where every restaurant serves only one thing. Imagine where what is called soda is just one thing, or where coffee, all coffee is sort of burnt and in cup sizes that you can't even, it's like the words aren't even English. Venti, what is this? No, keep your Starbucks, I'll go over here. Like, like we don't all have to think exactly the same about everything, in fact... Maybe the reason why we have not, as a human race, achieved some broad level of unanimity about all kinds of of questions is that we're not intended to. We're intended to, as a group, love one another past our differences and distinctions. We're called to live in harmony. Verse 16 goes on to say, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. This means that that you can fly at a place in terms of your own elevation, of your own importance, and there are going to be people who are better than you, whose group you want to be part of, and then there are people who are less than you, who no, you no longer want to be part of. Paul says, don't, don't establish station like that in your life. Instead, associate with those who are beneath you in your own estimation. Don't only associate with people who are the best or your favorite. Verse 17. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Man, I thought that was the plot of like every movie out there, right? You know, they came and hurt his family and now he's back for revenge. Like That's every movie, right? But I'll tell you what, I watched the, uh, the movie Les Mis again recently. If you've not seen the 2012 version with Hugh Jackman, like probably not suitable for young children, um, but what an amazing story. I mean, the book is only 150 years old, but I'm not gonna give away the, the ending of it. But over and over again in this story, you know what's amazing, there is this this this, uh, the, the, I don't know that the gospel is clearly on display in the story uh, in, in terms of expression. There's definitely a, a bit of, of works orientation, and what's like you, you have to do the right thing in order to earn salvation going on in there. You could, you could just dismiss that. But you know what happens over and over again? The main characters refuse to repay people who are doing them wrong with wrong. And that's the exciting tension of the story. As as people consistently do the right thing and they watch their lives work out, it is amazing the level of grace that is evident in the lives of these folks. Yes, it is normal to repay evil for evil, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Give thought to what's honorable in the presence of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Be peacemakers. Why? Because they're the ones who are called the sons of God. Overcome evil with good. Good. There's this amazing verse here. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That seems pretty straightforward. That sounds like right thinking as far as the gospel goes, but then then there's this additional verse here that we might find very strange. Um, By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his heads. It's like, I didn't quite think that verse was going to end that way. That sounds horrific and, and vicious and mean and and, and horrible. Okay, now, uh, when, when I was in, in grad school getting my Bible degree, I had to read like 20 pages of interpretation on this verse. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really happy with any of the interpretations. they like back in the days of the pyramids. This was a practice. I don't know. But let me tell you what I think is going on here the comment on heaping coals on someone's head, I think, is this, that there is an internal conviction that comes to someone when someone says, I'm going to get vengeance on you, and you act in a vengeful way, and then someone's like, man, I'm not really sure why you felt like you needed to act that way towards me. Here, I'll, I'll do good to you. You feel this conviction like Restlessness, like restlessness, like a burning. Is that what's going on here? I don't know. The point is that when we do good in the face of evil, we are rebuking the evil done to us. Paul says don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In all of this, In everything that's here in this passage, in the midst of all the difficulties that are going on in the Roman church, all the division that is causing their relationships to blow the church apart or to create splits among them and to drive them apart, Paul's burden is this, that you do what is necessary to fix and repair your relationships. Always. Why? Because they are important because relationships, because other people are the most important thing in the universe. There are three things that will last forever. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. So, four observations then on properly stewarding our greatest treasures. In everything that I say, let me just pull aside for just one second and say this there are going to be relationships and there are going to be people that are difficult. And I'm not intending that what I'm about to say is like, this is the magic key to solving all of your relational problems in just four steps. And if if you can't make this work, there's something wrong with you. Okay, yes, every now and again, there is somebody in your life that you're just like, man, I don't know what to do with this person. I don't know how to fix this. You know, that's, That's the nature of conflict, okay? But Paul says here, not live peaceably with all. And if you can't make that happen, something's wrong with you. What he says is, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, right? You might not be able to live peaceably with them because of them. But if it's you getting in the way of peace, then fix that. That's what he's saying here. Four observations, then, on properly stewarding our greatest treasure. 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul says it is required of stewards that they be faithful. We don't own our relationships. They have been given to us by God that we might use them for his glory and for our joy. And so how do we properly care for others around us and our relationships First observation is this. Relationships are our context, right? We live in a sea of relationships. There are people that you have to interact with all around you. Despite our best intentions of being able to order everything and live our entire lives with with apps and phones, right, you still have to interact with people. You still have to, and I believe we will always have to because that is the way that God designed the world. We exist in a sea of relationships. Some people are close and some are far. And so as we seek to to relate to people and seek to exist among people, we need to realize that we are the central factor or central dynamic in all of our relationships. We are what is in common in terms of all the relationships that we have. So what does that mean? It means that we need to be brutal about our own baggage and our own flaws. Many times we think that we have got it all together. Now listen, I know a lot of you, and I know most of you, Kind of well, you're not a bunch of like arrogant, haughty people, but like arrogant and haughty is a setting that just kind of happens in my mind, right? It's not like I decide like I'm gonna be self centered and self focused here. It just kind of, my gears just kind of slip there, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, Comcast, do what I say and do it the way that I say and do it now because I'm the customer, right? You know, like, I pay you. You do what I say, you know. And I have to tell the people on the other line, like, look, I know it's not you personally, but, like, I'm not happy with your company right now. <laughs> like, I'm not happy with you. Like, I'm not going to yell at you, but, like, please, could you, could you just, like, hand me off to somebody who can fix my problems? And I, I, get, I get in self-focus mode. We need to be honest about what our own junk is, what, what kind of struggle and stress that we bring to the, all of the relationships around us. And then we need to remember that we are called to lead other people to Christ. And that all of our relationships exist, I'm getting into my second point here, as a, as, a, as, a, as a means or an opportunity to bring other people to Christ. When we acknowledge our own flaws and failings, We're owning the fact that leadership and leading others isn't about our authority or our power or our knowledge. Instead, it's about influence. And so how do we humble ourselves to others and say, I too am imperfect, but this is what I know about God. This is what I know about reality. This is what I know about loving others. And so head this direction. There's a a song by... A band that I love, they might be giants, uh, an unknown song, but in the, the singer, the singer sings the chorus. He says, I just found out what everybody else already knows. Right? He's talking about the fact that everybody knows what he's like, everybody knows what his flaws are, and he's just learning about them. We have enormous blind spots when it comes to ourselves. And so, understanding that we're in relationships with others, we ought to be humble. We ought to embrace humility and seek to serve others and not ourselves alone. Uh, so, so, so the end of point one there is kind of point two, which is relationships are our mission field. Think about who you have been blessed to be in relationship with, your family, your spouse, your kids, your extended family, your friends. I have, I have relationships and the ability to influence neighbor kids because of my kids, you know? There are, are school teachers who suddenly come into my sphere of influence. There are coaches and parents of classmates and all kinds of, of people who enter into your network because of relationships. And what is your responsibility towards them to draw them to Christ? right? Think about it. When you think about the verse that says, let your light so shine that others might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They're not talking, Jesus isn't talking here about random human beings that are completely and utterly disconnected to you as if you were going to be on the nightly news. Right? He's talking about the actual people that you're really in relationship with. People who are around you, who you're connected with, that they'll, that they'll say, that's good, that's positive, that's encouraging, right? The people that we are around, who we interact with, are not just characters acting in the drama of our life. They are the point. They are the mission field. They are the ones that we're to connect to and to share with. And so our focus and goal is to draw them to Christ, to encourage them to holiness, to sharpen them for greater effort, right? If we're on a team with some of these folks, whether we work with them or they're in our home, we need to focus on how do we do we do what we do together better, How do we increase communication? How do we help one another on our goal of living together in harmony and love? Third, relationships are our greatest opportunity. And I say this in the sense that that we have an opportunity every single day to spend a number of hours with the people who God has called us to reach. These are the the people that we're working with and the people that God has given to us to care for. These are our children. These are your grandchildren. These are your family members, your sisters, your brothers, your spouse. They're our greatest opportunity. And we can either engage in opportunity or we can neglect it and let it slip by. The key to engaging that opportunity first is to be present, physically speaking, right? Not somewhere else, to be where we need to be, to be around our people, to be physically present. An additional challenge nowadays is to be mentally present. It's easy to turn on the television or the phone and to get lost in the endless scrolling of whatever thing seems to attract our attention. I think that our, our phone is supposed to kind of be like a tissue, right? Uh, useful, it's a tool. But Ben Franklin says be careful not to spread your handkerchief out searching in it for rubies and pearls, right? You know, just let that sit with you, right? You know, like you can you can spend so much time on your phone, I'm telling you, I am shocked at how quickly the time adds up. I get a note every 15 minutes on this thing, and it's like, you've spent four hours on your phone. And I'm like, really? Where did that time go? How did I spend four hours on my phone today? Sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's like, what? How much time did I spend there? And you think, like, what, what time is, is, is going by and so look at your relationships and say how do i encourage others how do i bless them how do i build something how do i create these are all things that the father has done and because he is in us because jesus is in us we have an opportunity to do this in the lives of others think about god's way with people if if god's love were a resource I would say that that many of us would accuse him of being profuse and wasteful with his love. He just spreads it around and shares it with everybody, right? Look at the way that he cares for other people. And so we look at our relationships and we ought to say, what good can I do in this relationship today? What can I do to encourage this person, to bless them, to build them up, to help them? relationships are our greatest opportunity but if we're not physically present and then we're not mentally present then how can we accomplish anything it's so easy just to just to give over into the stream of being entertained or occupied by whatever thing needs to be done as a, as as somebody who competes with paper in my life, right? Like I just, I am not a good manager of paper. You want to take a look in my office. You'll see I have an entire shelf just stuffed with old files and things that I'm trying to eliminate. I could spend days and days and days and days and days working on that project. Same thing with like organizing stuff in the garage, like forever, forever. It never gets done. There's always more stuff. 30 minutes a day is probably enough to spend on any single project, right? You know, any single thing that, that just seems insurmountable. And then just be like, I did my work for today, and now I'm going to move on to something else. and Move on to spending time. I'm going to move on to, to relationship. Finally, I don't have a lot of time to get into this, this last bit here, but relationships are subject to creep. Creep, not creeps. Creeps ruin relationships, yes. And being a creep ruins relationship. But um, don't be a creep. In printing, right, I used to cut paper for a living at a printing company. We had this giant blade that would come down and cut massive sheets of paper. It featured prominently in many of my nightmares during that period. Uh, during Now, there were two buttons on the blade, you know, and so you had to put your hands here and cut and there were these laser beams that you didn't see them. They weren't like hot, like lasers from movies. But, but the lasers were there so that if you interrupted the path of the lasers, like with your head, you couldn't get in close to the blade, right? So these, all, these things made me very comfortable. I was, I was very happy about that. But as, as the blade grows dull, and as the papers, the piles, get thicker, what happens is, is the blade gets, does strange things as it, as it cuts right? And they call that creep. That, that as you're trying to put these papers together, you're folding them and trying to get them into a book. They're all like weird and wavy and strange, right? That's, that's creep. It just happens over time. You need to keep the blade sharp. You need to keep the machine well maintained. In relationships, there are some relationships that require so little work uh, the relationship with a person who you've not seen in 15 years, and you get together with them, and you're like, man, it was like yesterday. But you know what? There's, there's, there's not a lot of, of interaction in that relationship the people that that you live with each and every day the people that you work with each and every day the people that you lead the church with or that you uh, work with in the church those relationships because the interactions go on and on and on those relationships if they're not addressed and kept sharp will drift because every single person that we're in relationship with is fallen And so we need to be intentional about pursuing encouragement with others and conflict resolution with others. And we need to pursue it personally, in a personal manner, right? Text messaging, not good. You know, I think that if there were an 11th commandment, it would be do not rebuke one another electronically, right? You know? We're called to be humble about ourselves when it comes to relationships. And we're called to be bold in doing what's right. That's clear from the commands of Romans 12. And so we need to be intentional of, about reaching out to others and saying, hey, you know what, picking up a little tension between us, right? Or, or hey, you know, things just don't seem to be right. Or are we okay? What's going on? You know, like... like I'm just not. What's what's going on with the distance here, or or why aren't we close anymore? Those kinds of things. Um, reaching out and then being willing to deal with potential conflicts. We have become, I believe, as a people, we're growing more and more insecure as our interactions with others shift from live interaction to electronic because because of speed and distance in life. We need to be careful to to be present with one another and to focus on, on problem resolution. Relationships need to be adjusted and sharpened and strengthened over and over and over again. Why spend so much time focus on refining our relationships? Because I believe that wreckage in personal relationships is one of the reasons why we fail to experience joy on a regular basis because we have conflict that's outstanding with others what's the goal Matthew 25, 21, in the parable that Jesus tells in in rewarding his servants, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What's the goal? The goal is to finish the race of life with joy. One of the ways in which we do that is we make sure that our relationships are intact That we have done what we can to restore or to maintain them. And that as best as possible, we live peaceably. We honor one another. We love one another. We overcome evil with good in our relationships. That that we might have this tribe of people that we've cultivated around us. That we're seeking to reach with the gospel. That we're working together with on our on our work task, or that we're living together with on our on our family uh, in our in our family circle. What would the church look like? if we prioritized love within relationships as our ultimate goal? What would the church look like if we began focusing on maintaining and honoring and sharpening all of our relationships all of the time? As we close, consider that that conflict will come. We will struggle. But the God who created us delights in relationship. In fact, he sent his son to restore a broken relationship. He enjoys us. He reconciles. He spurs us on to greater joy, greater peace, and greater love. And so let us prioritize our relationships as being greatly important. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to share this word. I pray that, that we would be honest, Father, and if there are things which we do which shut down or stifle or break our relationships, that we would lay them aside. If there are people that we need to reach out to and reconcile with, Father, I pray that we would be faithful to do that. If... Sitting here and listening to this word about about your love and care for us, Father, we're convinced that we are out of joint with somebody or we're in conflict with them, Father, I pray that, that you would encourage and help us to make things right with that person. Father, I also pray if there's somebody here who has not restored their relationship with you through Christ, that they would confess their sins you are good and you forgive sins and unrighteousness and you would assure and encourage them that they have peace with you because of what Jesus has done for them father I pray that that we would seek joy in our relationship with others and that we would see others as important and that we would see relationships Father, that that we would see love between family and and with people that we work with and with people that we interact with on a regular basis, that, that we would see peace and harmony as of the greatest importance. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would make it so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.